Welcome to Irish Exit Everything. My name is Frank, and this is the first episode in the Exit Strategy series where we will be envisioning a more equitable, sustainable, just all around better world uh, because the way things are right now doesn't have to be that way. And so, this first episode, I want to talk about health. And I don't mean like New Year's resolutions. I'm going to go on a diet, take a Zumba class once a week and just kick ass. Like, no, I mean, I ate a caramel buttercream cake for breakfast, right? So I want to talk about healthcare and healthcare finance, healthcare insurance. And I know, I know that sounds boring. It sounds awful. And that's kind of why I want to talk about it, right? Everyone should be concerned about healthcare and healthcare finance, because even if you're temporarily able-bodied like me, that will change. Um, And getting older or getting sick shouldn't mean more and more medical debt, right? So the debate around healthcare and healthcare finance has major implications for everyone either right now or in the future. Um, So my first guest in the Exit Strategy series is Kyle Minton. He's a healthcare activist. Um, He knows a thing or two about organizing. You can follow him on Twitter at Junior Minton. And so here's my conversation with Kyle. 100,000 welcomes to you, Kyle. Uh, Thanks for joining me today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, happy to have you. Uh, How's 2022 treating you so far? I'd say it's going pretty well. I, I think um, being on a podcast was um, a bucket list goal of mine. I've never been on one. And so really? you are, you're actually making dreams come true here today. So, you know, that's what I do. That's my job. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. Of course. You know, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned uh, before we started recording it, it's been a while since we've chatted. Yeah. Like our, our paths briefly crossed um, in college. I guess it was about 10 years ago around that time. Yep. Yep. And so I was wondering where has your path taken you since graduation and uh, what got you into the, the health justice movement? Yeah, it's funny. I, I, when I graduated college, um, I had originally gone to school to be a teacher. Um, and when I, you know, we both went to Oakland and when, um, when I was at Oakland, they do this really cool thing in their teaching program where they give you classroom exposure. Um, and so I went to go, uh, you know, for my whatever SED 300 class or whatever it was, I went to a classroom in Hazel Park to shadow a teacher, uh, which is, was part of the class. And when I talked to this really cool guy, he was like, don't go into teaching if you want to make a living anymore and was probably one of the most depressing things I've ever heard. Um, I mean, my mom was a teacher. Uh, She gave me like a solid middle-class life with her great union job. And he was like, this is profession is being dismantling. And like you said, that was like a decade ago. This is the profession was being dismantled in it. And it was, I looked around, I looked at my friends who were graduating and becoming teachers. And I was like, man, this isn't, this isn't going to fly, which is all to say, I, I uh, just graduated with an English degree and was like, let's see what, um, let's see what I could just do with that, right, in the job market, uh, which wasn't much. And uh, I ended up getting a job at Quicken Loans, the evil empire. Um, one thing they did was they were just hiring any graduate, with any degree, and just plugging them into any job. So I just randomly landed, landed in their talent acquisition department. Um, long story short, 
the whole time I was at Quicken Loans, I was like, what? Like, when do adults go to the dentist? Like, when do they, when do they like live their life? I don't understand. And this has been my, like, the whole time I've since moved from Quicken Loans, the whole time I've had a full-time job um, since college, I was just like baffled at like how much exploitation occurs in the workplace. And I never really put a name to it. I never really put the name exploitation on it. Uh, I didn't really understand that at all. Um, and then in 2016, and I've always sort of been like politically aware. I was sort of like a shit lib in college and, um, you know, just, I was like a big Barack Obama head in college and stuff like that. And so I've always been politically aware. I always kind of fancied myself uh, up to date on like current events and things like that. Um, then in 2016, um, yeah, this guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, Bernie Sanders um, ran for, for president uh, for the Democratic uh, nomination. And um, what was really amazing is he's like that put names on a lot of the things that I had been feeling since I graduated college, you know, when I, when I was like, um, you know, I had just been laid off from Quicken Loans because that's what they did. They, they burn and turn people as soon as they didn't have a need for me anymore. They just let me go. Um, uh, and I, I just remember like, I had to go get quickly get a part-time job. I had lost my health insurance and it was like during the, I don't know if you remember the polar vortex, you know, mm, yeah. uh, it, it and it would it had triggered my asthma really bad, which I hadn't had since I was like a boy, like a child. Um, and so I didn't have an inhaler and I couldn't afford one. Um, I didn't have a lot of money cause I had just gotten laid off. I didn't have any health insurance cause I had just gotten laid off. And I remember just sitting in my room, um, just like before I fell asleep, just like wheezing being like, man, I hope I wake up tomorrow morning <laughs> you know what i mean just because yeah. i couldn't afford one i was too embarrassed to ask people for money just stupid um you know i was young but but like bernie running for office really put a, a, a name to a lot of that stuff it really like called out that 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 what happened to me was was because there's greed in the health insurance industry and because you know, we tie basic survival necessities to labor and, and that's why we're being exploited. So that really blew me away. And since 2016, I thought, you know, I really need to get involved in something that, um, you know, helps more people become aware of these concepts um, because I, I thought it was really enlightening to me um, and almost like a relief in a lot of ways. So I joined the democratic socialist movement um, I originally started with them, uh, the, the Democratic Socialist Organization of Detroit, um, Metro Detroit DSA, quick plug, if you're not a member, highly recommend. Um, I started with them doing um, anti-charter school work. We would go around in Pontiac and Detroit. We would, um, we would uh, put on videos, uh, put on the screenings of this movie called Backpack Full of Cash, uh, which is all about the destruction that privatization is reaping on the education, um, the public education in this country. So, you know, and again, that sort of same thing, it ties back to, I wanted to be a teacher. I realized the profession was being destroyed. I didn't understand at the time what was destroying it. Uh, the socialist movement, Bernie Sanders, a lot of these concepts really helped me understand why that was. This is not by accident, right? This is for profit. 
Um, so long story short, that's what got me into activism. And then uh, I met a gentleman named Rick uh, who ran the Medicare for All Working Group. Um, and he had this really great um, idea of, of getting people who are sort of, they're politically charged. Um, and he wanted to put them into the Medicare for All Working Group and sort of use that as a uh, launch pad for young activists, kind of getting them used to knocking on doors, getting them used to, um, you know, talking to people because you can't be an activist and not talk to people. Um, so he really, he really broke me into that. We, we knocked on doors. Um, Rick actually passed away in a tragic motorcycle accident. Um, and we just sort of, I fell into the um, chair position for the Medicare for All Working Group and sort of in his memory kind of continued that, uh, that movement of getting people involved. Um, I was in it for about two, two and a half, three years. Um, just we've, we did protests against Gretchen Whitmer's appointment of Dan Lepp, Blue Cross Blue Shield CEO to her transition uh, team when she ran for governor. Um, we've knocked on just thousands of doors, just spreading the single payer gospel. Um, I've done talks at, you know, union halls. Um, you know, I've done debates. It's, it's been a, it's been a, a ride. And then um, I had a child and had to put a lot of that stuff on hold. So hopefully going to get back into it in 2022. That's kind of the goal. Um, but yeah, that's really a super long winded answer. Um, but thought I would thought I would break it down for you that way. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, there's a lot of things that you said that I, I relate to and I wanted to, I was trying to remember everything you were saying because I was like, oh, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, definitely a gut punch to be told, like, don't be a, a teacher, something that you wanted to do. Yeah. That's crazy. And then um, the, um, now I'm forgetting everything <laughs> all at once. <laughs> um, yeah. So I feel like there's a, like a plethora of reasons why, folks get into health justice, whether it's their own personal experiences with health finance. I like you said, like not being able to afford an inhaler right. or like seeing other people struggling with medical bills. Like there's no shortage of that. You know, I myself am still paying for a knee surgery I got five years ago. And my entire mm -hmm. family is like constantly in medical debt. Mm -hmm. Like I said, there's no shortage of that or like in worse. Um, we could spend all day talking about how working class people struggle with health finance and the lack of access to, to decent healthcare, but. Right. And a quick note that, that really blew me away. Sorry to interrupt, but oh, you're I, fine. I just want, I just want to point out so that, you know, all, all 10,000 of your listeners understand this point. <laughs> um, medical debt, the concept of medical debt is completely unique to America. Mm -hmm. I think that, that that's important to point out. Um, any other industrialized country in many countries that are far behind us in, in terms of, uh, you know, industrialization, uh, they don't have a concept like medical debt. Um, so I, I think that's important for people to understand, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that reminds me, like you recommended this book, Health Justice Now. Health Justice Now. Yeah. Read it in two weeks, which is probably the fastest I've ever read a book. Um, <laughs> I'm not a fast yes. reader. So, um, so thank you for recommending that. And um, yeah, the, the author, Tim Faust talks about how we confuse um, healthcare finance with mm -hmm. healthcare. Like we confuse paying these medical bills as actual healthcare, which is, which it isn't. 
And then also something you said about um, exploitation and how there's just like an unawareness of that word, but like we experience it every single day at work. Uh, The majority Mm -hmm. of us do. We experience exploitation, but we just don't know what that word is. So there's a lot of disconnects. Um, And so it's, you know, it's amazing that you're putting in the work to try to erase awareness and consciousness of that stuff. Um, Yeah, like I said, people inherently know how fucked up it all is it's not a secret um, <laughs> right. right so and you mentioned single payer so i'm just wondering um like what health justice looks like to you and you can go into a little bit more detail about why the current health finance system is isn't working and that that could be um that could lead to a single payer explain that a little bit more but what does health justice look like to you tangibly concretely yeah i, I mean health justice and i think you you really hit the nail on the head first of all uh Tim Faust's book, Health Justice Now, is, is potentially a life-changing book. I mean, for me, it was it was extremely eye-opening. He does a really great job of mixing really heartfelt stories with concrete policy ideas, which is, is not something a lot of writers can do well. Um, and, and Tim Faust is really someone who opened my eyes beyond anyone to the health justice movement, um, which is largely this idea that, you know, Healthcare is a human right. Bernie Sanders said this, I think I heard him say it first, um, but he's, he's one of the most prominent people who've probably made this point that, that healthcare, just, just by virtue of you being a human being, you deserve to have access to care. Um, and, and so the movement of health justice, what that means is making sure that people can get the care that they need in, a, in an equitable way. And I think one thing that you pointed out that, that Tim does a really good job with is, is making the distinction between health care and health financing, right? You hear a lot of conservatives say, well, America is the best healthcare system in the world. Best, best healthcare system in the world, which, which even if you were to say, okay, fine, that's, we'll take that at face value that America has the best, best healthcare system in the world. We've got the best hospitals, best doctors, best, you know, buzzword innovation, whatever the hell you want to call it. What good does that do if the majority of people can't access it? Right. I mean, Kaiser poll after, you know, you know, Kaiser poll will come out and say the Kaiser family foundation is a big healthcare polling operations, big healthcare uh, outlet you know, they often cite these poll numbers that they do that the majority of people over half the country with private insurance, this is people with health insurance, have cited cost as being a major barrier to accessing care. And these are people with private insurance who supposedly love it, right? Um, If that's the case, you know, I can only imagine that there are way more people out there because, for example, I, a, a young, relatively healthy, uh, you know, middle class person, rarely has to even use my health insurance. Right? I would imagine that if I had to go access care a lot more, I would probably join the ranks of the people in that poll. Right? Uh, so again, health justice is really about allowing people to access this so-called greatest healthcare system in the world. And to, to be clear, like we do have pretty good healthcare when we're able to access it. Um, so healthcare justice, health justice also means rearranging society in a way that 
the sickest people, the most vulnerable people get the best care. I had a coworker once asked me, you know, wouldn't, if you had a brain tumor, wouldn't you want the best brain surgeon, you know, working on that tumor? Well, of course, like me as an individual, yeah, of course I would, right? But what I want as an individual is probably not the best way to set up society, right? The way I'd want society to be set up is I would want the best brain surgeon to be working on the person with the worst brain tumor, right? I wouldn't want there to be this analysis of, you know, who's got the money to be able to pay for it, right? I talk a lot about, you hear a lot of people talk about wait times in um, countries that do have single payer, like Canada, for example, comes up a lot. Um, I think people don't understand that America has wait times too, right? The difference is that, you know, I don't really care that a rich person with a broken ankle has to wait to get into the hospital if it means that poor people who are chronically ill, right, and unable to access care to take care of some of these issues that are a lot of times preventative and, and stop things from getting way worse down the line, if they can't access care, right, then what good is it that, that somebody who has some, some, you know, wealthy individual with a broken ankle can get into the hospital right away, right? Uh, so again, I, I think it's restructuring society so that the most vulnerable people can live up to the healthcare as a human right moniker, because right now they can't. Uh, right now they can't access the care that they need. Um, and so we can't as a country say that we have a good healthcare system when our health financing system doesn't allow for people to access their care. Um, and I think to back up a little bit, I think it's worth pointing out what single payer is. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of people throw around terms like Medicare for all, or even things like universal health care, things like that. And you know, Tim Foss breaks down the de the definitions in the book. I think it's one of the, actually the first things he does. Um, but I think it's it's important to point that out. Medicare for all is a policy name for a concept of single payer healthcare. Single payer healthcare is a vehicle towards universal healthcare, which just means that everybody is able to access care, right? That everybody has healthcare. If your country has uninsured people, then your country does not have universal healthcare, right? America, again, is, is very unique in this, in the world. Um, so single payer is one way to get there. A lot of countries have single payer. Um, Taiwan, South Korea, um, Canada, these are countries with a, a single payer system wherein the government simply pays for your medical bills. You never receive a bill. You go to the doctor, you get your care, you go to the hospital, wherever it is, and then the government cuts the check to those institutions for that healthcare. It's very similar, and America has something already very similar called Medicare that uh, our senior citizens get the age of 65. Um, now, Medicare in this country is close to a single payer kind of system, but in a microcosm um, at the same time, because it's been subjected to multiple neoliberal and right wing attacks, you know, it's been scaled back quite a bit. Um, you know, there's still a private healthcare aspect to it. You might have heard about like Medicare parts A and B and things like that. Um, there are these 
things that, that people have to buy, these sort of like plugins and add-ons to kind of make up for the things that, that Medicare doesn't cover. For example, Medicare doesn't cover dental or vision. Um, so you kind of have to buy private parts to that. But um, for the most part, as a concept, it works really well, right? Senior citizens, when polled unanimously, I mean, and I'm talking like bipartisan too, people on the right, people in the left, they love their government healthcare, right? Their government financed healthcare. It is not the government, you know, replacing doctors and nurses with, you know, bureaucrats, right? All they're doing is they're just paying the bills, right? Um, there are like sort of utopian dreams of having like a nationalized healthcare sector. I mean, America is so like, and, and England is one of the only countries where you could really point to that. America is so far away from that. Um, but a giant step towards health justice would be fixing our health financing system, which is ultimately, if you're sitting there wondering, you know, well, what happens to private insurance companies? They're gone, right? And I mean, these are some of the most predatory companies in the United States. Um, if you think about the way that insurance companies make money, right? They make money on the difference between your premiums, what you pay every week out of your paycheck going in and claims going out. So if you think about that model, they're incentivized to not pay out claims, right? The less they pay out in claims, the more money they make. So you've got these institutions that are literally designed around denying people care. And we have to wonder if, if society you know, moves forward towards health justice, where, where is there room for institutions like that, right? Uh, it's not much, <laughs> uh, but I don't want to completely monopolize. I mean, it, is, that, is that a pretty good, uh, a pretty good overview? Yeah, I think so. Um, before reading uh, Tim's book, I feel like with a lot of people, like my eyes would glaze over when thinking about healthcare finance. Right. Um, because they're, like you said, there's so many buzzwords around, like it's very yeah. confusing. And like, I think Tim does a really good job at explaining single payer, which again, I had no idea what that was before reading the book, but basically, yeah, all care for all people, period. And the single payer, the one person paying for it is the government. Right. Like, why wouldn't we do that? That seems so simple. Uh, but like you said, there's, there's um, like bad actors, like the private insurance companies who only make money when you don't use your health insurance, like when you don't seek out care. And it's, it's something I'm having trouble reconciling with, and it's probably not even something we, we should reconcile with, but the fact that employer-based health insurance started because of a labor shortage uh, during and after World War II. And I mean, private health insurance has been around for only like 100 years or so. Which is wild to me that during a labor shortage, something we were apparently struggling with a lot last year, right? A labor shortage. This year, yeah. yeah, it hasn't stopped. Um, a labor shortage is what first drove employers to like dangle health insurance in front of workers as like a potential perk for their labor, right? And then since then, it's snowballed into what Tim Faust calls total employer domination right. because we depend on our jobs if we have full-time jobs um, to provide our health insurance. But even then we have to work shitty conditions for shitty health insurance that might not even cover the treatments and drugs that we need. Yeah. 
And I no, guess some I, people I, don't I even have I, access to, to right. uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I, yeah, I think, I think that, sorry to, to interrupt, but I think that, that that's a really important point because if, if the pandemic, especially 2020, has shown anything, it shows how volatile that is. You know, when people, when, when Bernie Sanders ran for president uh, or for, for the Democratic nomination for president several times, a lot of people hit him with, well, you don't want to get rid of people's health insurance. They love their health insurance, right? People, people, people like their health insurance. It provides them, you know, health care, blah, 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 blah. Even again, even if that were true, right? The volatility there should render that point absolutely pointless, right? What, what good does it do? If you love your health insurance, if your employer can simply just take it away, they can charge you more. My, my employer has charged me more for our insurance premiums. They've contributed less and less every single year. What choice did I have in that matter? If I loved my insurance last year, this year I could hate it because it's a larger portion out of my paycheck. And if I love my insurance, my employer could decide ultimately you know, it's too expensive. We're going to go with a different plan. You know, it's, it's about as consistent and about as your choice and yours as the divine writ of kings, right? I mean, there's no consistency there. Your employer could just take it away at any time. So it is not, people don't love their health insurance because it's not theirs. It doesn't belong to you, right? You are basically borrowing it from your employer. And you have no, there's no democratic, the only people who have a little bit of say in it are union members, right? Because they can have a say in, in you know, healthcare bargaining and things like that. And even that, I mean, what, what good does that do when, you know, the, you know, there's a big, big show about the union unite here out in, in Nevada, when the pandemic hit and all of these hospitality workers were effectively let go, Right even the union ones, what good did it do to have bargained top, cream of the crop, top pick healthcare, right? Because they were all unemployed. So they couldn't access it. Uh, I think it's really, really important for people to understand that, you know, even if you're not 100% sold on single, single payer or you don't know what it is, it's important to agree that healthcare and access to healthcare should not be tied to employment. Um, if anything, we should take that away um, and, and try to provide some different model. Because if you get laid off or your employer just decides to stop being competitive, right? Which you mentioned a labor shortage, you know, the only reason employers offer good health care is to be competitive, right? Um, which we're sort of lucky enough to be in a market where employers have to get competitive now. But there are lots of people who don't. Lots of companies who built their factory in the middle of nowhere, where they're the only employer in town, what incentive do they have to offer really great insurance, to offer really cheap insurance, right? Because if you quit working there, where are you going to go? Walmart? Are you going to get insurance there? Probably not, right? So Amazon, we're all going to work for Amazon eventually. We're going to be working Amazon or, you know, and, and it's like, and Amazon does this all the time. What do you, you look where they build their distribution centers. They, they build them in either very rural areas where they could be virtually the only employer in town, or they build them in very um, urban areas and pretend like they're doing, um, you know, economic uh, work, economic charity right. work or something. 
Uh, but what we know what they're doing, they, right? They're taking advantage of an exploited workforce of people who have no choice but to work there, right? Uh, I think when I back when I was a liberal, and I think a lot of liberals make this this problem make this uh, mistake is they think, well, they have a job. That's good, right? It's it's a good thing. Yeah. And while sometimes I can certainly agree that it, that a job is better than no job because this country is depraved in that way, um, that doesn't necessarily mean you're in a better position, right? Um, that means your labor is being exploited um, while you get crumbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think it's it's sort of a slap in the face to point to the crumbs and be like, well, it's better than no crumbs, right? Right. It's, it's, it's something that's technically true, but 100% shitty at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah, we live in, live in a country that tells us, um, like, we're only worth insuring if we work. Like, uh, right. we're, we only have value if we are producing for someone else, right? And if, right. if we can't produce, then, you know, we have no value. And that's obviously not right. So to bring it back to health justice and the current... Um, health finance system, since that isn't working, how do we, and since this is the exit strategy series, um, we yeah. need, to talk, need to talk strategy. So where do we start? How do we win things like single payer? Yeah, I think um, it'd be great to Irish exit um, the private healthcare industry for sure. Um, that's, I think the battle of ideas is over, right? Um, everybody knows, I mean, even, even outside of like crazy right-wing people, right? Even, you know, your standard sort of moderate Republicans, a lot of them pull favorably for Medicare for all. A lot of them pull favorable for single payer. I remember talking to my conservative father-in-law who one time explained to me how cool it would be if healthcare, you know, were paid for by taxes. Yeah, I totally agree. Right. So, you know, the battle of ideas is over. Even a lot of centrists believe, you know, that the Center for American Progress are putting out things like a public option, which is, you know, not quite as good as single payer. But let me be clear, it would be a million times better than what we currently have. It's what we originally wanted Obamacare to be. Um, so which is all to say, like, we need to be done thinking about it. Right. We need to be done thinking about what's the best way to do it's like the point is is something we have to do something right i'm not even going to be an absolute purist and be like you got to join the democratic socialists of america and get involved with their medicare for all campaign i think that'd be a great place to start but joining any group joining any group of people it could be your neighbors it doesn't even have to be an official organization right um and and acting. Uh, and what I mean by acting is, is ma- making sure that our elected officials who at this point are the only people who can actually deliver these reforms, they can, the, the, the politicians are the only ones who can deliver us a better health financing system, right? We can't just create it on our own, right. as great as that would be. Um, so we have to make sure that they understand that you can't win an election. You can't go anywhere and speak. You can't do anything without people demanding something, demanding health justice, demanding reforms to healthcare. And I'm not talking like half measures. I'm saying we need a 
an absolute uh, radical reform. Uh, something the size of Obamacare. I mean, that was a big deal. The ACA was a big deal when it got passed, right? Uh, it originally had a public uh, option to it that was destroyed by um, centrist Democrats, unfortunately. Um, you know, which which I think was a tragedy. If that's something that you want, and a public option is literally just um, it would be like Medicare, um, but you know, if, you, if you're if you're private health insurance that you get from your employer isn't cutting the mustard or you don't like it or whatever, there's always this public option that you can get. And then if you get unemployed, you can go on the public option. So it would sort of alleviate a lot of that. Now, again, to be clear, it wouldn't really do a whole lot because it wouldn't really prevent uh, the churn that we were talking about where you're constantly having to like jump around and there's gaps and all this stuff. Um, you know, I, I think that America too often like lets people, it, it, it puts too much emphasis on personal choice. You have to go sign up for this. You have to go do this. We'll give you all the right tools. You just have to go do it yourself. Inevitably, that's going to fail. There are always going to be people who make bad choices, wrong choices, whatever. And, you know, they shouldn't be forced to suffer for it, right? But I'm getting away from it. The The only, the thing I really wanted to, to emphasize is, um, getting together with a group of people, you have to organize collectively um, and making noise. And, you know, one thing that the that I thought the, the DSA did do really effectively, they did their house pressure campaign where they went around to every Democrat in Michigan, every house Dem in Michigan and said, we want you to sign on as a co-sponsor for Medicare for all. Um, a lot of them already were. You've got your, you know, your, your, uh, like Debbie Dingle, who helped write the bill. You've got Rashida Tlaib, who, of course, Democratic Socialist member, jumped right on. Um, then you had some that didn't, right? Um, Dan Gildy up in Flint, solidly blue district. There's no reason why signing on to Medicare for All would lose him an election. Um, he didn't sign on to it. We went up, we met with him, asked him to do it, gave him all the details. Took him a little while, but eventually he signed on, right? Uh, and that was a great victory. Uh, then you've got like the real conservative Dems. You got like Alyssa Slotkin or Haley Stevens. Um, they're gonna be a little bit harder, right? But we need people in their district, around their district to stand up and lobby them for this, right? You can always work on right-wing people, um, in sort of like a very personal way. Um, you know, I don't think we should write off Republicans or conservatives. Um, I think it's important if you've got people in your life who are are affected by healthcare and health justice, which probably do. All of us. I mean, all of us do. Um, you know, talking to them and, and showing them that there is a better way, you know, in a very calm way, way. I mean, there are so many resources and I, I don't, maybe you can link to them in your, in your uh, show notes or something like that. Uh, there are so many resources that, that uh, Tim's book, least of all, or, or I would, I would recommend first that really sort of are designed to convince people and show people that this is a, I mean, there, there are policy wonks all over the place who have crunched the numbers, whatever they've showed that, that 
this is the better way to do it. Our job is to make the moral point now, right? That not only is it more efficient, not only is it better, it is, we are morally obligated to take care of the most vulnerable people in our society. You know, the sick, the disabled, the temporarily injured. That's important to do. Absolutely. And we're all about way. There's no, there's no easy answer, but, but you have to get involved. And even if you don't get involved, you have to talk to people. You have to get them to, you know, understand your point. And, And again, I don't, I don't want anyone walking away from this thinking that they have to know every single fact about single payer to get somebody convinced of their point. You don't need to know the graphs, the numbers, whatever. You just need to know the moral point uh, because it's it's airtight, I think. Absolutely. I like a, a lot of what you said. It doesn't have to be a direct path to single payer. It doesn't have to be just one path. Um, we just have to start organizing together and making noise, like you said. Um, there are lots of options out there. You don't have to join the DSA, but the DSA is really good at making noise. Um, so that's an option. Um, you know, you mentioned crumbs and how like some crumbs <laughs> are better than no crumbs. We just want to start getting more crumbs and eventually we want the whole damn sandwich, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think single payer would be the as close to the whole damn sandwich as you can get. <laughs> right. Right. We have a single payer, we have a single payer funded uh, social security system. We have a single payer funded uh, military, right? I mean, lots of things the government just shells out an enormous amount of money for, right? Healthcare is certainly more important than a lot of these things, maybe not social security, but certainly more important than the military, right? So I think that's, you know, demanding that of our government officials, right? They have no problem spending money on things, right? Spend money on us spend money on health justice that's the move absolutely well thanks for working towards and fighting for a better world for you for me for all of us in solidarity yeah thanks for having me on frank hope to talk to you again soon absolutely it's a pleasure